Welcome, and thank you for listening to Grace Heritage Church Audio, building a household of faith on a foundation of grace. Visit us online at graceheritage.org. Please stay tuned after the message for more information. Thank you. We'll begin with a, a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the message that we've heard this morning, the challenge that has been set for us from your word, to be people who are merciful, who love you and who love our neighbors, and who express that in tangible ways. Give us wisdom to sort through the details of how to do this on a, on a, in, a, in the real world, to put these things into practice. Um, we pray that you would give clarity to our, our thoughts, clarity to my words, as I seek uh, this morning uh, further about the issue of mercy ministry. And, um, and may you make us ready, ready doers of the word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this is our third week discussing the topic of mercy ministry. And I really don't need to review the past two weeks um, because the challenge for doing mercy ministry has been set out before us this morning. I appreciate the message of, uh, of Ray this morning. And um, I guess our focus... You guys are all spread out. Our focus um, this morning will, will be to address a question that was raised last week. Um, as we were closing, Kevin raised a question. He noted that as I was speaking about mercy ministry, I had been using the word we a lot. And he asked me to clarify whether I was saying that mercy ministry was an individual responsibility of every Christian or whether I was saying that mercy ministry is uh, the corporate responsibility of the church. Now, my intention today is to shed some light on how to answer that question to explain to the best of my ability how to divide those responsibilities in light of biblical truth. But before we can actually begin speaking directly to the issue of responsibility and uh, where those responsibilities lie, um, we first need to make sure that we're all on the same page in our understanding of what the church is. In my opinion, Christians have often overly institutionalized the church. Um, we see this particularly in America. The church is first and foremost, the local church, is not a business or a company. It is a gathering. The word for church... Um, Ecclesia means gathering or congregating of God's people. Um, my conviction is that the church best represents that purpose of being the gathering when we're simplistic, not when we're a complex, uh, institutionalized infrastructure of programs and such. Uh, that's not to say that there is no organization in the church. The church is also an organized, it is an organized gathering. There is identifiable leadership. Um, there is structure. This church understands the New Testament to present two forms of leadership, elders and deacons. Um, and um, I guess if I was to, to diagram it in, in a simplistic way, uh, here we have our understanding of the church, of the idea of a gathering um, and there are essentially three groups of people in that gathering. We have elders. What else? Deacons. And, and who else would, uh, would form the majority? I'll, I'll just say the body. The rest of the congregation. Um, this, this sort of makes up the idea of our corporate gathering together, uh, our understanding of the church. Now, we gather around the gospel. We gather around the gospel message. 
what makes the church unique from another organization or simply being another club is her message. That it's the message of the gospel. Um, and all of my eagerness to, um, to emphasize uh, the importance of doing mercy ministry, I want to be careful um, to stress that the church's message is the gospel. And that, that message, and, and that the gospel is a message that words are required. Now, mercy ministry can reinforce that. Mercy ministry is an expression of that. Mercy ministry can come alongside that, but it cannot replace that. And we need to keep that in mind. And so, rest easy, as we uh, have been placing a great deal of emphasis on doing mercy ministry and putting these things into practice, we perceive that this is uh, something that was lacking or that we would need to to strengthen in terms of our congregation. Um, I'm not trying to turn the church in a different direction. Uh, our, our goal, we're centered around the gospel and we're, we're, we're trying to see where, where mercy ministry essentially fits into that mix. Now the scriptures also give us guidelines as to what the church ought to be doing. Uh, we ought to be careful saying that the church should do this or that. We need to let the word of God regulate what the church does. And when it comes to talking about issues of social ministry or mercy ministry, I often hear people say, if the church were doing its job, then we wouldn't need social programs or we wouldn't need government involvement. And I think we need to be careful what jobs we are attributing to the local church as far as its corporate purpose. Um, the church, as this gathering and this understanding, is, is not called to be a social service agency. Um, the church is, is the church when we gather around the gospel message and the duties of the church are the things that pertain to that gathering. Preaching of the word of God. Prayer. Uh, participation in the sacraments. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, 42. Pretty bad when the teacher can't find it. <laughs> I lost my uh, little sticky note. Um, last week I read verse 45 to emphasize that the early church was um, meeting the needs that existed among them. But back up in, in verse 42. Would somebody read that for us? Acts 2.42. Would we read it, Richard? And, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What, what was the church doing as, as it gathered? What were the things that they were focused around? What, what comes out of that verse? Ideas of, of what the church was doing as, as they gathered with this, this mindset. <coughs> they were focusing on the, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. Um, they were fellowshipping. That, and that's a, that's a true fellowship. That's fellowshipping around the gospel. Um, that's not just you know talking and such. Uh, breaking of bread, and many many believe that is a reference to the sacraments of, of, of uh, communion, of the Lord's Supper, um, and to prayers. And my point in, in, in reading that is to say that verse 45 and what the believers were doing seems to be born out of what they were doing as a corporate gathering. Um, if it seems like I'm contradicting some of the things that I said last week, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to clarify... And hopefully it will become more clear as I, as I continue on. Um, in making a distinction between the church's 
corporate responsibility and the church and the individual responsibility of the members of the church. Um, the short answer to Kevin's question last week is that everything that I've said so far about mercy ministry has essentially been said to you and I as individuals. When I spoke about mercy ministry um, and the gospel motivating us to do acts of mercy, I meant the gospel motivating you and I as individuals. When I spoke about the gospel motivating us um, to personal involvement and personal cost, I meant involvement of you and I, cost to you and I. You know, with this understanding of the church, for, for us to say that the church corporately, the church's corporate responsibility is to do mercy ministry, um, I believe that it's not, it's not accurate, at least with not, without qualification. Mercy ministry doesn't seem to be our responsibility as a corporate gathering. Um, it seems to be more accurate to say that mercy ministry is our individual responsibility as members in the body of Christ. Is the challenge that has been set before us this morning. Um, now, it seems to get a little bit confusing, and I've, I don't know if it's coming out clear. I've struggled with how to articulate this clearly because there, there seems to be overlap because we, as we talk about the gathering and the corporate, I mean, essentially we're talking about individuals. So, so there's overlap there. Um, but what I'm trying to say is. Um, is that we, we don't want to, as a corporate church, go off and focus and say that our main mission is to do mercy ministry. We want to remain focused around the ministry of the Word. Um, essentially, um, uh, I guess the reason that I want to clarify that is so that we don't go concluding that the church's corporate responsibility purpose is to do mercy ministry, and so let's cancel services today and go feed the homeless. Um, our, our responsibility as a gathering are, are, is spelled out in Scripture as to what the, the corporate church's responsibility is. So, that's confusing. Hopefully, things will be a little bit more clear as I move along. Um, what I would like to do is to sort of separate out, the, I guess, the three groups of people that function as this gathering and our idea of the corporate church and to look at the different responsibilities of each. First, to the overall functioning of the gathering as a church, and secondly, to see where it is that mercy ministry fits into that mix. Um, so first, and, and perhaps this may also be helpful for us by way of reminder, um, as we consider elders and deacons, since we're in that process, we're willing of God raising up additional men to serve in these capacities. First of all, elders. I would say elders have a teaching responsibility. Elders are entrusted with the ministry of the Word, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul charged Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Elders accomplish this responsibility primarily through the task of teaching. What would you say is an elder's responsibility in regard to mercy ministry? To equip, yes, that's, that's the, the direction that I'm, to, that I'm going. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. We'll look at this passage twice this morning. Ephesians 
Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this, And He, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Um, in regard to mercy ministry, the elders' responsibility essentially is that of equipping the body to do the work of ministry. Um, as elders teach the whole counsel of God, they, they place emphasis not only on orthodoxy or right thinking, but also on orthopraxy and right practice of actually living out the faith. They, they focus on both of those. Um, and so their teaching should motivate us. Their teaching should equip us to go about the task of doing effective mercy ministry. It should challenge us, um, as we've heard today. I don't mean to keep referring to you to point you out, but just to say that that served as a, as a good well, an introduction, more than an introduction to what we're talking about. Um, now, on a side note, elders are also fellow believers in the body. And so as individuals, as husbands, as fathers, they have a responsibility to do mercy ministry. I'm not saying that elders don't have that responsibility. Um, I mean, as an individual, they're not altogether excused from doing mercy ministry. But in regard to their functioning in the church as a gathering, their primary function is that of equipping the saints, the rest of us, to do the work of ministry. Um, deacons, secondly, are servants on behalf of the body. The word deacon means servant. We believe that the role of deacons can be traced back to Acts chapter 6. There a disagreement arose within the church that some widows' needs were being neglected in a daily distribution. So they chose seven men and they appointed them to go and meet those needs. Um, and we see from that passage that deacons help uh, not only to see that needs are met, but also um, they help to prevent or resolve conflict. Um, anytime you gather a group of sinners together, issues will come up. And problems always tend to arise when people think their needs are not being met. And so a, a primary function of deacons in regard to this in addition to just simply meeting needs, is also to kind of keep things going smoothly, um, to, keep, to keep peace uh, and to address problems before they escalate and become issues. And then thirdly, perhaps the main reason from the passage, is that the deacons free up the elders to focus on the ministry of teaching. The deacons serve the body by helping to protect the ministry of the Word. And when Tom, when Tom takes care of an issue in the church say, for instance, an issue of mercy ministry, that frees up Tom, um, Stan or Paul to focus on their preparation for teaching or preaching. And so uh, deacons, the ministry of deacons is a huge benefit to the body, of their servants on behalf of the body. Now, in regard to mercy ministry, we see deacons playing an important role. Um, in my best understanding, the deacons are called to meet primarily the needs that exist within the body. Um, how exactly do they go about meeting needs? Um, perhaps the best analogy that I can think of is that they often act as a switchboard. Um, a need arises in the body and a deacon will connect that need to somebody else in the body who's able to meet that need. So essentially, deacons connect needs to need meters. Um, and that means two things as far as you and I are concerned as members of the body. One, 
If you recognize a need that exists and you're unable to handle it, and you don't know anyone else who's able to meet it, you can approach the deacon to, to give assistance or to help find assistance from somebody else within the body to meet that need. But also, and turn that situation around, is that you and I may have what is needed um, to meet the need. Now, we, the deacon may very well be approaching us to meet the need of somebody else because we all have a function in the body. I'll come back to this, this later, um, but we learn from many examples in the Scriptures that each of us within the body of Christ has a function. Um, you know, a need may arise, and you may not have money, but somebody else in the church may very likely have the money that could meet that need. An issue may arise where um, someone just needs time, and you may not have time, but somebody else in the body may have time. And you may not have the particular knowledge to meet the need, but yet somebody else in the body might. And so deacons, in, in an ideal sort of way, um, and, it, and it doesn't always happen in practice, because obviously we're not going to do anything perfect, but the deacons ideally would, would connect. That's how the body is designed to function, to, to meet one another's needs. And deacons serve as servants on behalf of the body in a corporate way to, to sort of organize and help that move along. Um, you know, and Tom has done a tremendous job for us serving as our deacon, but yet he's often been overwhelmed as the only deacon. And so we're praying that God would raise up other men to, who would qualify and who would be willing to serve in those capacities um, to act as deacons uh, and servants on behalf of the body. Now, the, the $100,000 question is, are deacons supposed to, as representatives of the church and in regards to their function in the church, are they to meet needs of those outside the church? Say, for instance, um, somebody calls, uh, not a member of the church, not a Christian, their family, uh, he's just off lost his job, and their family is hungry. Will you help? Um, Tom gets that call, for instance. And is it the responsibility of the deacon to fulfill that same function in regard to those outside the church? Now, to answer biblically, humility requires me to say I'm not certain. Um, I, I, to my knowledge... Um, there is, is no passage that explicitly commands us or commands deacons to meet the needs that exist outside of the body. Um, now we can either go two ways there. One, um, we may say it's not commanded and so we're not going to do it. Or two, to recognize that Scripture doesn't always speak specifically to every situation but that it often teaches us in principles. Do I personally think that it's wrong or that it's right for a deacon to use to act on behalf of the body to either meet a need or to connect that need to one of you. No, I think it's fine. I think it's acceptable so long as the needs within the body are being met first. Um, let me present to you um, why I think that. Um, let me clarify with a, with a helpful concept, I think. The idea of a spillover effect. Um, it seems that wherever the people of God are, there always seems to be a spillover effect. For instance, in a family, if one spouse is a believer and the other is an unbeliever, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 that the unbelieving husband or wife is made holy or sanctified by the believing husband. The same is said to be true of the children. 
that, that they're made holy. Now, I don't want to get into the issue of what that means exactly, but suffice it to say that there's a spillover blessing of some sort. In the New Testament, we also see this in an understanding of the Jew-Gentile relationship. In Mark 7, Jesus told the Syrophoenician woman that his ministry, according to the promise, was first to the children of Israel. How did she respond? Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Essentially, she was recognizing that the Gentiles benefited from what spilled over to the promise of the Jews. Um, we see this also in a practical level if we look around um, in, in business or in government. If uh, a Christian business owner um, takes a stand to, to stand for a biblical principle, take Chick-fil-A, for example, who decides to close on Sunday. There seems to be a spillover effect of some sense. I mean, the employees benefit from that. Or if a, a Christian assumes a government office and presses for issues of Christian morality, there seems to be a spillover effect. Uh, I'm just kind of using that, that idea, that concept, to say that um, as deacons go about their function within the body of meeting needs, I don't think it's wrong for the needs that come into their midst for them to also meet the needs of those outside the body. And another principle, um, another reason why that, that I, seem, I, I think that that is acceptable is that this principle may also be at work in the Old Covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, you can turn there if you like. Um, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29 speaks, speaks to the issue of gathering tithes. The passage is speaking to the requirement of collecting the tithes at the place where God dwells. Essentially, from our New Testament perspective, that seems to be the church. The church is where God's Spirit dwells. Um, Ephesians teaches us that. Um, and that pat- this pattern of, of bringing the, the tithes to the place where God dwells sort of carries over into uh, our collection of the offering. Um, but we read, skip down to verses 28 and 29. And we read this. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year. Instead of bringing it to the house of God, or the dwelling, the place of God, it says, to lay it up within your towns. And in 29, and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work of your hands that you do. Um, so there seems to be this idea of a, a portion of their tithe, at least every third year, going to meet the needs that exist within them. But no, notice who's, who's grouped in that. It's not only the needy among them. It's not only the fatherless and the widow. It's not only the Levite who has no inheritance, but who else? The sojourner. And that seems to be an understanding. Those who would be outside, who would have come in contact with Israel. Um, so I... I I'm not saying that we're that we're commanded to obey the social laws of Israel. Uh, I'm not going there, but I'm, saying, I'm just saying we at least recognize this principle that a portion of what has been set aside as God's money or produce, as it would have been there, would be used to meet not only the needs that exist within the covenant people of God, but also to 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 without. Um, lost my place, sorry. Um, and so all that being said, we see the role of deacon functioning as sort of this switchboard of, of connecting needs to need meters. Um, first within, but then also without. Now the third, the body. 
essentially you and I. Um, what is our function in regard to the gathering of the church? What are we responsible to do as church members? You can think, for instance, of what's our church covenant say? Give me some ideas. Some of which we did this morning. <coughs> you came here. We're, we're called to, to assemble. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 25 says, Do not neglect to meet together. So we're called to, to participation or assembly. We're called also to support the church. In Galatians 6, 6 says, He who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. And in that context, that's speaking to issues of money. That's speaking to issues of carrying one another's burdens. It seems to be speaking to issues of responsibility. Um, we're called to, to not only to assemble, but also to financially support the church, to support the church in worship and its teaching, to submission to the elders, um, to learn from them, um, involvement, and all these things. Well, where does mercy ministry fit in? In regard to mercy ministry, I think that the bulk of responsibility rests on the body. Uh, in terms of the organization and, and, and looking at the church as a corporate structure, elders are equipping you. Deacons are responsible to connect needs to you or connect you to needs. But the responsibility to carry out the task, to actually go about doing this, rests ultimately on the body. It is the body's responsibility. It is, our, it is your responsibility. It is my responsibility as Christian individuals, as families. Um, now, in the, in, the, in the following, in order to follow through with this series on mercy ministry, um, in the following months, a large part of my internship here will be to, to help sort of um, try to, to create some structure or um, to strengthen the church's mercy ministry. Um, honestly, don't know exactly what direction we're going, but we want to, to create some sort of some structure there. Um, and in, in discussions with, with Paul and Stan and with Tom, a few things in particular seem to keep coming up um, as being important. And so I lay them before you essentially as our vision of mercy ministry here at Grace Heritage. Um, and in many ways, you'll see it depends on you. It depends on participation and involvement. That's the call of the Scriptures to us as Christian individuals, as followers of Christ, to love God and to love our neighbor. Um, first, we see mercy ministry as a grassroots type of ministry, uh, as opposed to being program-centered. Um, there are essentially two ways of starting a ministry in, in church. One is to... Uh, start with the leadership to begin a program or begin a ministry and to impose that sort of top down and then ask you guys to plug in with that. So we decide we're going to do we're going to do mercy ministry here and then we're going to ask you to come and help us. Um, that's one way. The other way is to allow ministries to sort of grow up within the body um, and to form out of the congregation. Uh, as with the general philosophy of ministry here, um, we do not simply want to create programs that need to be maintained. And so we see Mercy Ministry functioning most effectively as a grassroots ministry. Um, that's not to say that we'll never have a church-wide opportunity to do, to organize, and to do Mercy Ministry activity. Um, but I mean, we, very know, we very well may 
But practically it means that rather than sitting back and waiting for leadership or um, the organization of the, the corporate <laughs> church starting something, we encourage you to begin meeting needs as individuals and families where God has placed you um, to organize yourself. For instance, perhaps you recognize that there's a need in your neighborhood um, or school. We encourage you to begin thinking how to meet that need. To, um, to see if there are others within the body who are willing to assist you and, and to organize. Essentially, so, to organize yourself. Um, perhaps you, you'll get involved with existing organizations that, uh, that are in the community to volunteer there and to serve there. I mean, in that sense, you represent Grace Heritage Church as members. Um, and in regard to working with deacons, um, I hope to help create some sort of a, a structure or a system um, so that we can effectively um, channel, I guess is the word I'm looking for, the needs um, to the congregation members, to you, um, so that you may participate in that. We hope to encourage a participatory element in this, but we see the bulk of the responsibility resting on the body, and we see it hopefully as as where God has placed you, the gifts that you have, is growing up out of that, and encouraging others and organizing in that in that sense, as opposed to simply uh, plugging into a program that's up and running. Um, this quote from the Enduring Community sort of hit home with me, and it gets to the heart of the. Uh, the point that I'm trying to make. It says this, For a man to shake his head and say, someone ought to do something about those poor homeless men downtown is to admit that he has seen a need and not taken responsibility to meet it. Instead, he attends the next Wednesday night prayer meeting and suggests that a committee of the church be formed in order to look into the possibility of considering Something being done about the poor in his neighborhood. Do it yourself ought to be the church's cry. Band together with the believers with whom you sit side by side, Sunday after Sunday, and do something about bringing justice into the world. Essentially, the the mindset, the the challenge, the, that challenges me. Um, where am I actively being involved in this? And so, not only grassroots, but we encourage you to see this as a family ministry. Uh, and doing mercy as a family activity. You know, the philosophy of ministry here is, is to keep families together as much as possible um, you know, and, instead of dividing them. It's important, though, that families not only learn and grow together, but that they also serve together. Um, serving together is a great teaching opportunity. And parents, model for your children what joyful service to others looks like. Model for your children a concern for the poor and needy. I long to have my son be concerned about the needy. I long to have him be burdened and, and to desire to meet the needs of others. So use mercy ministry and serving together as an opportunity, a teaching opportunity. Uh, but also, serving together is a testimony to the strength of a Christ-centered family in the eyes of anyone who's watching. You know, in a day when families are falling apart, are self-centered, you know, may your family represent Christ to the unity that can exist within a family that's centered around Christ as you serve others to the glory of God. And finally, I want to consider um, two responsibilities that you and I have as Christian individuals and families in hopes of encouraging you um, to participate 
in some way. First, you have a responsibility to use your gifts. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Four passages in the New Testament speak uh, specifically to the, to the issue of uh, spiritual gifts. Um, this being one of them, they essentially all communicate the same message. Um, and that we ought to use our gifts that God has given to us. <coughs> Romans 12, 4-8 For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Um, remember that it is Christ who is building his church. And he's not left us without um, the power and the giftedness to actually go about that task. He's not left us empty-handed. Christ has equipped the members of the body with various gifts that should function together to build the church. That's how it grows into maturity, into the fullness of Christ. Um, and as I said earlier, each of us has a gift. Each of us has a role. Each is necessary for the proper functioning. Shortcomings of problems in the church often exist because believers are not using their gifts in the functioning of the church. Um, they're, uh, they're lacking. Um, I also want to point out in verses 6 and 8 that service um, and mercy, and I guess we could put contributing in there as well, are not only commanded of us, each of us as individuals, as we've said earlier, but that they're also gifts. Some of us, some of you are particularly gifted in the areas of mercy ministry. God has given you um, a desire to help. God has given you a compassionate spirit. God has given you um, discernment in, in matters of meeting needs and how to go about that task. And it very well may be that you have been placed in this body to carry more responsibility in those areas um, so that the church can, can function um, Others may be particularly good at organizing when a need arise, arises. They could use their gifts to help the deacons sort of meet those needs within the body. Um, I encourage you to consider how God has gifted you and to seek to use your gifts in meeting various needs and in doing mercy ministry. Um, giftedness may be indicated by personal desire. Others may confirm that in us. Um, giftedness may, may be natural talents maybe um, learned abilities, training that we have received, resources that we have, opportunities that God gives us, and all these, to lose, use that term loosely, um, could be considered gifts. Um, and um, so I just encourage you to, to consider what your gifts are and how you might use them. Um, the important thing is that you're participating. And we recognize that the gifts ultimately are not ours as individuals, but they belong to the body. They belong to the body. The gifts are, are given to the body so that the body functions. And so I, I would say this 
spillover effect seems to seems to interplay here too. So it's, it's we we ultimately our goal is to meet the needs um, first within the body to be a witness of the kingdom of God here, um, but then that also spills out to meeting needs of others in the community as well. And secondly, you have a responsibility to minister. We were in Ephesians four earlier, and we said that the responsibility of the elders was to equip. Who are they equipping? The saints. They're equipping the saints. For what? What's the passage say? For the work of ministry. Um, you know, we, we, we far too easily associate ministry as being the responsibility of the pastors or the leadership when, biblically speaking, ministry is our responsibility. The elders are equipping us to do ministry. Mercy ministry falls underneath that as one of various forms of ministry. But we're the, the, to meet to meet needs, um, ministry is the responsibility of every professing Christian and individual. Paul teaches us to equip us to do ministry, and that's a tremendous responsibility. Um, so look around to recognize the needs that exist among the body. Fellow, needs of fellow members within the body and also where God has placed you and consider your gifts and consider how God may use you to do mercy ministry in those areas and one last thought that mercy ministry um, that doing ministry effectively involves learning oftentimes uh, not many of us are excuse <coughs> me Getting drier and drier and drier. <laughs> um, not, many, not many of us um, are, are knowledgeable how to go about meeting needs. And so I encourage you, if you recognize that someone is struggling with a specific need, to learn, to seek godly wisdom. Um, we don't have them out today, but oftentimes we have we have books, we have a whole bunch of little books that speak to various issues of grief, depression. Um, Um, drugs, alcohol, and, and to seek counsel, and seek counsel of the elders, seek counsel of each other, seek godly books and resources, and and learn, equip yourself, um, be equipped by godly men, be equipped by elders to go about, to know how to go about doing mercy ministry. Um, and so we understand, kind of summarize, and hopefully you've been able to follow me this morning. Um, that the main responsibility of doing mercy ministry falls on us as individuals. Um, I encourage you to pray about how God has gifted you and how you might be involved in um, participating in this work. So we have like a minute or two. Are there any questions? Clarify um, the struggle of getting what's in here out there. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the call that you've placed on our lives. God, that you have showed love to us and that you call us in light of that to show love to others. God, that you have shown mercy to us as undeserving sinners and you call us to show mercy to others. God, may we be faithful to these commands. May we joyfully um, 
go about the task that we would desire to do these things. Change our hearts to desire to do these things. Equip us to know how to do them. Give us eyes to see needs that exist among us, among us, all around us. And may we willingly participate in meeting them, God, that you might be honored, that others might see our good works and glorify you. And so, please help us in all of these things. To make sense of your word and to make rightful application of you. Pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. Grace Heritage Church meets in Auburn, Alabama. Services are held at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning at the Best Western on the corner of college and university.